This episode is brought to you by Jiffy Lube. Cars can be a big investment, so it's important to take care of them. I once got a car that I started out with 25,000 miles on. I got it to over 200,000 miles because I took care of it. You know how you take care of a car? You take care of the maintenance, the oil, the brakes, all that stuff. And if you don't, you can have a car just completely fall apart. When your car needs maintenance, head to Jiffy Lube. They provide automotive excellence at speed. Get your oil changed, brakes checked, tons of other multi-care services. It's all done by expertly trained technicians who actually care about taking care of you and your car. Jiffy Lube, car more. To find coupons and start an instant online estimate, visit JiffyLube.com. This episode is brought to you by Cars.com. When you add your car to your garage on cars.com, you'll unlock access to real-time insights into how much your car is worth. Plus, view its historical and projected value to decide when to sell. So when the time is right, you can secure an instant offer from a local dealership or sell it yourself on cars.com. Start tracking your car's value with your garage on cars.com. Welcome to Dissect, long-form musical analysis broken into short, digestible episodes. I'm your host, Cole Kushner. Today, we continue our serialized examination of Topimpa Butterfly by Kendrick Lamar with part two of our analysis of the album's epilogue, Mortal Man. If you haven't heard part one, I'd suggest stopping now and listening to that episode first. There, we dissected the song Mortal Man and heard Kendrick question the leadership role he chose to embrace. He also asked his listeners to question their loyalty to him, as he's acutely aware of the tragic fate of many black leaders before him. How many leaders you said you needed, then left them for dead? Is it Moses, is it Huey Newton, or Detroit Red? Is it Martin Luther, JFK, Shooter, you assassin? Is it Jackie, is it Jesse? Oh, I know it's Michael Jackson. Oh, when shit hit the fan, is you still a fan? When shit hit the fan, is you still a fan? At the conclusion of the song, Mortal Man, the narrative poem returns for the first time since the transition from hood politics to how much a dollar costs six songs back. Since the poem is read in full, I'd like to take this opportunity to recap the narrative function of the poem and how the mysterious and slow reveal throughout the album adds to the dramatic impact of the final recitation. But before we dig in, I'd like to share with you something I'm extremely excited about. I recently collaborated with the tremendously talented Hannah Sellers on a Tapimpa Butterfly visual album map which you can view now at dissectpodcast.com. The album map visually displays how each song on Topimpa Butterfly corresponds with lines of the narrative poem, as well as a longer dramatic poem recited at the end of the album. It's got all the themes and descriptions of each act, and it really helps to see the album and get a sense of its narrative structure. Plus, it looks really cool. If you're able, you might consider pulling it up now so you can follow along as we break down the poem. If not, definitely check it out when you get a chance. Again, find that at dissectpodcast.com. The narrative poem is first introduced at the end of the album's third track, King Kunta, the conclusion of Act 1. I remember you was conflicted, misusing your influence. If you'll remember, Act 1 displayed Kendrick's rise to rap stardom, getting signed and meeting Uncle Sam on Wesley's theory, the selfish, materialistic demands on For Free, and the ego-driven invincibility of King Kunta. The introduction of the narrative poem signals the beginning of Act 2, Cocooned, 
where Kendrick begins to realize all the ways he's still imprisoned in his new world. In retrospect, the line, I remember you as conflicted, misusing your influence, is a commentary on Kendrick's use of his newfound influence and stardom for selfish gains displayed throughout Act 1. After the song Institutionalized, a new line is revealed. I remember you was conflicted, misusing your influence. Sometimes I did the same. This line introduces and comments on the song These Walls, in which Kendrick abuses his power and influence to exact revenge on a Compton rival by having sex with his baby's mama while the man was incarcerated. At the end of These Walls, the narrative poem continues. Sometimes I did the same, abusing my power full of resentment. Resentment that turned into a deep depression. Found myself screaming in the hotel room. This, of course, leads to the song You, where Kendrick has a drunken meltdown in a hotel room, revealing his depression, survival's guilt, sadness and anger about his friends being killed in Compton, and his suicidal thoughts. It's Kendrick at rock bottom, realizing his new world of fame and success hasn't solved the inner turmoil or institutionalized mindset he developed being raised in Compton. You signals the conclusion of Act 2. Act 3, titled Emerging Wings, begins with the song All Right, which takes place the day after the hotel meltdown. Kendrick has awoken with a new determination, ready to battle his demons. At the end of All Right, the narrative poem returns, revealing three new lines. Found myself screaming in the hotel room. I didn't want to self-destruct. The evils of Lucy was all around me. So I went running for answers. I didn't want to self-destruct refers to All Right. The latter two lines introduce For Sale, where Kendrick speaks to Lucy, short for Lucifer, representative of sin and temptation. At the conclusion of For Sale, a new line is revealed. I didn't want to self-destruct. The evils of Lucy was all around me. So I went running for answers. Until I came home. This line introduces the song Mama where Kendrick returns home to Compton in verse 1 and visits his motherland Africa in verses 2 and 3. Mama leads directly into the song Hood Politics. Triggered by a voicemail he receives from an old Compton homie, Kendrick attempts to convince himself that he's remained true to his Compton roots and hasn't been changed by his new status of rap star. The narrative poem returns at the end of Hood Politics, revealing four new lines. Until I came home. But that didn't stop survivor's guilt. Going back and forth trying to convince myself the stripes I earned. Or maybe how A1 my foundation was. But while my loved ones was fighting a continuous war back in the city, I was entering a new one. These lines retroactively comment on the sentiments of hood politics. The last line introduces the album's next song, How Much a Dollar Cost. The new city Kendrick speaks of is Johannesburg, South Africa where God speaks to Kendrick through a homeless man at a gas station. The event sets Kendrick on his new path and signals the beginning of Act 4, The Butterfly Sheds Light. The narrative poem isn't heard until the conclusion of Mortal Man, where it's read in full, revealing the final eight lines. I was entering a new one. A war that was based on apartheid and discrimination. Made me want to go back to the city and tell the homies what I learned. The word was respect. Just because you wore a different game color than mine's doesn't mean I can't respect you as a black man. Forgetting all the pain and hurt we caused each other in these streets. If I respect you, 
We unify and stop the enemy from killing us. But I don't know. I'm no mortal man. Maybe I'm just another nigga. The majority of the new material comments on the sentiments of Act 4. Through his travels and experiences outside of Compton, specifically in South Africa, Kendrick expresses his desire to, quote, go back to the city and tell the homies what I learned. The word was respect. In Act 4, Kendrick does just that. On Complexion, Kendrick reconnects with his African heritage with a song that denounces colorism and preaches self-acceptance and beauty in all shades of black skin. The Black of the Berry, a think piece on black-on-black violence, correlates with the line, just because you wore a different gang color than mine's, doesn't mean I can't respect you as a black man. On You Ain't Gotta Lie and I, Kendrick again preaches realness, individuality, and self-acceptance, which correlate with the lines, forgetting all the pain we cause each other in these streets. If I respect you, we unify and stop the enemy from killing us. Finally, on Mortal Man, Kendrick turns introspective about his new leadership role, which is expressed in the last line of the narrative poem, but I don't know, I'm no mortal man, maybe I'm just another n-word. Knowing what we know now, let's go ahead and listen to the narrative poem in full, as well as what Kendrick says after the recitation. I remember you was conflicted, misusing your influence. Sometimes I did the same, abusing my power full of resentment. Resentment that turned into a deep depression. Found myself screaming in the hotel room. I didn't want to self-destruct. The evils of Lucy was all around me. So I went running for answers until I came home. But that didn't stop survivor's guilt. Going back and forth trying to convince myself the stripes I earned. Or maybe how A1 my foundation was. But while my loved ones was fighting a continuous war back in the city, I was entering a new one. A war that was based on apartheid and discrimination. Made me want to go back to the city and tell the homies what I learned. The word was respect. Just because you wore a different gang color than mine's, doesn't mean I can't respect you as a black man. Forgetting all the pain and hurt we caused each other in these streets. If I respect you, we unify and stop the enemy from killing us. But I don't know. I'm no mortal man. Maybe I'm just another nigga. Shit, and that's all I wrote. I was gonna call it another nigga, but it ain't really a poem. I just felt like it's something you probably could relate to. Other than that, now that I finally got a chance to holler at you, I always want to ask you about a certain situation, about a metaphor, actually. Uh, you spoke on the ground. What you mean by that? What the ground represent? The ground is going to open up and swallow the evil. Right. That's how I see it. My world is born. I see, and the ground is a symbol for the poor people. Right. The poor people is going to open up this whole world and swallow up the rich people. Because the rich people are going to be so fat. It's here on the final song of the album that Kendrick reveals that the narrative poem was actually being read to someone. Of course, we know now that person to be Tupac Shakur. But take yourself back to the first time you heard To Pimp a Butterfly. The slow reveal of the narrative poem throughout the album is both intriguing and mysterious. It forces the listener to think about each song as more than a song. They're pieces to a larger puzzle Kendrick is constructing. 
when Kendrick finally reveals the poem in its entirety, then continues talking to someone, we suddenly find ourselves witnessing in real time something akin to a scene in a play. It adds a unique immediacy and oral tangibility unlike anything I've ever experienced in a piece of music. Suddenly, we're sitting in a room with Kendrick Lamar, and he's asking someone a question. Let's replay this particular moment and pay special attention to the pause between Kendrick's question and the response he receives. Other than that, now that I finally got a chance to highlight you, I always want to ask you about a certain situation, about a metaphor, actually. Uh, you spoke on the ground. What you mean by that? What the ground represent? The ground is going to open up and swallow the evil. Right. That's how I see it. My world is born. I see, and the ground is a symbol for the poor people. For me, this moment is always striking, no matter how many times I listen to it. There's so much weight and mystery and anticipation behind that pause. And the response that's finally given lives up to and perhaps exceeds the dramatic expectations of the moment, as it's spoken by a dead man, none other than Tupac Shakur speaking to Kendrick from beyond the grave. The moment suddenly turns metaphysical, as if we slipped through a back door into Kendrick's dream consciousness. Before we get too deep into Kendrick and Pac's conversation, I'd like to first briefly explore Tupac the man and recap all the references to him hidden throughout To Pimp a Butterfly. Kendrick addresses Tupac directly in the opening line of the narrative poem, I remember you as conflicted, misusing your influence. Caught between somewhat erratic behavioral impulses and artistic idealism, Tupac's musical success was often eclipsed by his legal and personal difficulties. Tupac was born in New York City in 1971 to two politically active Black Panther Party members. Tupac's interest in social and political issues were made clear with his first album, Tupacalypse Now, released in 1991. The album featured defiant, socially conscious subject matter like police brutality, economic inequality, and teenage pregnancy. Tupac's rise and subsequent reign would continue to display the dichotomy and confliction between his music and personal life. He was arrested numerous times on an array of charges. The day after being shot five times by muggers, Tupac fled his hospital room hours after the surgery to attend the hearing of a sexual assault case against him. He was found guilty and sentenced up to four and a half years in prison. Tupac was still behind bars when his 1995 album Me Against the World was released, which debuted at number one. 
Despite his external thug life persona, Tupac continued to compose introspective poetic tracks like Dear Mama that complicated our picture of the young rapper. When I was young, me and my mama had beef, 17 years old, kicked out on the streets. Though back at the time, I never thought I'd see a face. Ain't a woman alive that could take my mama's place. Suspended from school, was scared to go home. I was a fool with the big boys breaking all the rules. Shed tears with my baby sister. Over the years, we was bored and other little kids. And even though we had different daddies, the same drama when things went wrong, we blamed mama. I reminisce on the stress I caused. It was hell, hugging on my mama from a jail cell. And who thinking elementary? Hey, I see the penitentiary one day. Running from the police, that's right. Mama cast me for the whoop into my backside. And even as a crack fiend, mama, you always was a black queen, mama. I finally understand for a woman it ain't easy trying to raise a man. You always was committed. When Tupac was released from prison, his entanglement in the East Coast-West Coast rivalry escalated. Convinced that rapper Notorious B.I.G. was involved in the shooting, Tupac went on record, in interviews and on Wax, lamblasting B.I.G. and his crew. So I fucked your bitch, you fat motherfucker. West side, bad boy killers. You know who the realest is, niggas. We bring it to you. First off, fuck your bitch in the click you claim. West side, when we ride, come equipped with game. You claim to be a player, but I fucked your wife. We bust on bad boys, niggas fuck for life. Plus, Puffy trying to see me weak, hearts I rip. Vicky Smalls and Junior Mafia, some mark-ass bitches. We keep on coming while we running for your juice. Steady gonna keep on It was also during this time that Tupac and Kendrick's paths crossed for the first time. As we mentioned way back on our very first episode of the season, Tupac and Dr. Dre shot the original California Love video at the Compton Swap Meet. When the two stopped in the middle of the street near Kendrick's house, eight-year-old Kendrick sat on his dad's shoulders to watch. The event made a lasting impression on Kendrick, one he speaks of often in interviews. I was around eight years old. They were shooting a video in my neighborhood in Compton. My father seen him. Went two blocks down, got me. By the time he got me, everybody was out there. It was like pandemonium, you know. He put me on his shoulders, and there he was, Dr. Dre, and um, Tupac right there. And uh, I think it was a white Bentley. Yep, they were shooting a video. And um, that moment right there, whether I know it or not, subconsciously, I think it, you know, eventually branched me off to what I'm doing now. You know, it was already designed and destiny. 15 years later, I meet Dr. Dre and I explain that story to him when I seen him and he remembered that exact same moment wow. and remember them kids that was out there. And I said, Dre, I was one of them kids that was there, you know, so it's, it's a crazy feeling. In September of 1996, Tupac and Death Row CEO Suge Knight jumped a member of a Compton Crip gang who was involved in a robbery of a Death Row entourage member earlier in the year. Hours later, Tupac was shot four times in the street of Las Vegas while riding in a car with Knight. He died days later. He was 25 years old. How would you compare how you're handling fame and fortune in 1995 to how you did a couple of years ago? I believe I'm more responsible and more mature and more focused. And I will be more focused and even more responsible and even more mature in time. It seemed like the two sides of Tupac were constantly battling with each other. One minute you're spitting at TV cameras, the next you're talking about Shakespeare. 
Have you reconciled those two? Um, hopefully. I like to think so. I think that I'm really, I was a reactionary, and now I don't do that anymore. Same person, it's just I don't react. Before I reacted, I didn't like the cameras, I spit. The last time we talked, you said that you were best known for your big mouth. What do you feel like you're best known for now? Taking five bullets. That surviving. I'm known as a survivor now. I hope so. For the jail thing, bullets and the everything. Controversies and everything. I hope so. And I want to be in the future known as somebody, you know, people to be talking about me like, you know, look, remember when he was real bad? Remember when Tupac was real bad? You know what I mean? They do that about a lot of actors now. Like John Travolta, I read stories, it's like, remember you were wild? And all these other people, and now they like, they're sweethearts. We all should get that chance. I just want my chance. Considered by many to be one of the greatest rappers of all time, Tupac left behind an enormous, complicated, and perhaps incomplete legacy. We'll of course never know whether his turbulent private life would ever reach some kind of equilibrium with the sensitivity shown on his records and interviews. I think it's important to remember just how young Tupac was when he received the immense amount of success, influence, and wealth that came with his music. Of course, this bridges us back to Kendrick Lamar and the story he tells on To Pimp a Butterfly. Like Pac, Kendrick came from poverty. Like Pac, Kendrick created socially conscious records from day one. Like Pac, Kendrick found success and influence at a young age. Like Pac, Kendrick struggled to reconcile his past with his present life. And like Pac, Kendrick had the devil on one shoulder and an angel on the other, battling Uncle Sam and Lucy, and altogether conflicted about the use of his influence. In Acts 1 and 2, Kendrick displayed the ways in which he misused his influence, for financial gain and materialism on Wesley's theory and for free, for an ego-driven assault on his rap peers and Compton enemies on King Kunta, and to exact revenge on an imprisoned rival gang member on these walls. By addressing Tupac directly in the narrative poem's opening, I remember you as conflicted, misusing your influence. Sometimes I did the same. Kendrick acknowledges the parallels between himself and Tupac. The connection is something that Kendrick has felt for years, and expressed prior to Butterfly's release. Let's listen to an interview Kendrick did in 2011, speaking on his reference to Tupac in the song High Power, as well as the time Pac came to him in a dream. Keep in mind, this interview was years before Good Kid and Butterfly were created. You said something about having a vision of, of, of Pac and having a dream. Can yeah. you kind of elaborate on that? Um, it's a crazy, it's a true story, actually. Um, you, know one of them, you know one of them things when you're real delirious in your sleep? Know if you right. life or not, right? Woke up a, or anything. And um, it's a, a real situation where I was asleep one night, man, and his his blur like his silhouette, like a silhouette, and he basically said, "Keep doing what you're doing. Don't let my music die." And um, shit scared the shit out of me. <laughs> Straight up, so, shit. Just off the fact that the prior to that, the day before, my mom was bringing up, you know, you and Tupac, y'all like days apart, y'all birthdays. Mm-hmm. And I never knew that shit. It was yeah. some wild shit. And um, once he said that shit, and I'm really big on shit like that, right, spiritual right. shit like that. Somebody comes in your dream and it relays a message. You gotta listen. You gotta listen to it because I got past family relatives that's been past and been coming to my dreams forever. Right. You know what I mean, and talking to me. And um, 
I just really wanted to uh, share that message, man. And I felt like it was something I just couldn't keep to myself. I wanted to put it out to the world and let them know this shit is real for me. You know I mean, I'm not only doing it for myself anymore. I'm doing it for people around me, my city, of course, and for a, a, a bigger power. And that's to continue the message that he tried to carry. Kendrick mentions in the interview that he and Tupac's birthdays are close together. Indeed, both were born in June making them Geminis, the zodiac sign best known for having two conflicting personalities. Specifically, Tupac was born on June 16th, while Kendrick was born on June 17th, the day after. Things get spooky when we realize Tupac released his definitive album Me Against the World on March 14, 1995, while Kendrick released To Pimp a Butterfly March 15, 2015, exactly 20 years plus one day, a sly symbolic gesture and a cryptic nod to their respective birthdays. The quote-unquote next day becomes a metaphor for the continuation of Pac's legacy and message. In the same year To Pimp a Butterfly was released, Kendrick wrote a letter to Tupac on the anniversary of his death that was published on Tupac's website. It reads, I was eight years old when I first saw you. I couldn't describe how I felt at that moment. So many emotions, full of excitement, full of joy and eagerness. Twenty years later, I understand exactly what that feeling was. Inspired. The people that you touched on that small intersection changed lives forever. I told myself I wanted to be a voice for man one day. Whoever knew I was speaking out loud for you to listen. Thank you, KL. True to form, Kendrick can't help but suffuse this letter with a few cryptic gems. Kendrick states that he was eight years old when he first saw Pac in Compton. At the time of writing this letter, Kendrick was 28 years old, making it 20 years since first seeing him. He mentions this with the line, quote, 20 years later, I understand exactly what that feeling was, inspired. Of course, the product of that inspiration Kendrick is referencing here is To Pimp a Butterfly, the album he released 20 years and a day after Pac's album. The last line, whoever knew I was speaking out loud for you to listen, refers to Kendrick's recitation of the narrative poem throughout the album, which we know was being read to Pac all along. What you can't see is that the word you is spelled using just the letter U, the same way the song you on Butterfly is spelled. The hook for you is loving you is complicated, which if you remember from our analysis was inspired in part by Tupac's poem, Love is Just Complicated. Also, as you've probably noticed throughout the season, Kendrick alludes to Tupac in some way on nearly every song. We heard how For Free was likely inspired by Pac's Life is a Traffic Jam. We heard Kendrick recite Made It Past 25 on King Kunta, referencing the age Tupac was when he died. We heard how the hook Loving You is Complicated from the song You mirrored Tupac's poem Love is Just Complicated. On All Right, Kendrick shouts Lord Knows in reference to Pac's song of the same name. We heard how the phrase If You Scared Go to Church on For Sale nods to the first use of the phrase on Tupac's Rather Be Your N-Word. On Hood Politics, Kendrick shouts 50 N-Word Salute in reference to Tupac's tattoo. We heard Rhapsody name drop Tupac as well as quote his song Keep Your Head Up on Complexion. The opening line of Pac's Keep Your Head Up is some say the blacker the berry, the sweeter the juice, which of course is in line with Butterfly's next song, The Blacker the Berry. We heard how Kendrick's You Ain't Gotta Lie is an extension of Tupac's Lie to Kick It. On I, we heard Kendrick redefine the N-word in a similar way that Pac did on his song Words of Wisdom. And finally, on Mortal Man, Kendrick reveals that the narrative poem recited throughout Butterfly was in fact being read to Tupac himself. Let's listen again to the opening dialogue between Kendrick and Pac. 
Having explored Pac's life, Kendrick's connection to him, and all the Pac references on Butterfly that leads to this moment, let's again feel the weight of that dramatic pause. You spoke on the ground. What you mean by that? What the ground represent? The ground is going to open up and swallow the evil. Right. That's how I see it. My world is born. I see, and the ground is a symbol for the poor people. Right. The poor people is going to open up this whole world and swallow up the rich people. Because the rich people are going to be so fat and, and they're going to be so appetizing. You know what I'm saying? Wealthy. Appetizing. The poor are going to be so poor and hungry. Right. You know what I'm saying? It's going to be like, you know what I'm saying? It's going to be, there might, might be some cannibalism out this month. <laughs> they might eat the rich. You know what I'm saying? All right, so let, let me ask you this then. In a discussion with Mark Robin, Kendrick explained how Butterfly's Tupac sequence came about. That was another gift, man. I, I, I got that, that, that audio recording when I was in Germany uh, by a cool guy, man. He said, I did an interview with him, and he said, um, me and Pac have the same sentiments, even though, you know, we're totally far from age. And he said, I want you to have something. Sure enough, I took it back to the bus. I played it, and it's a full, long, unreleased joint of him just... Uh, asking them questions and what intrigued me the most, what gave me the idea is that the answers that Pac is given are, are answers for today, right. time and age, right. man. And I said, the world got to hear this right. and they, they, they got to hear it on a major scale, you know, and, and I got that opportunity and I give love and I give thanks to his mother, you know, for allowing me to use her song vocals in, 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 in a positive light, you know, because a rapper could do anything. They can butcher him and make it the worst thing ever. But I want to continue his message through that. And I thank him for that, for allowing me to do that. Kendrick asked Pac a series of questions that seek advice on both his own personal journey as well as the state of our nation. He begins by asking Pac about a metaphor, the ground. Pac explains the ground represents the disenfranchised and impoverished people in America and that someday the ground is going to, quote, open up and swallow the rich people out of hunger and desperation. With the ever-growing income inequality in America, where the top 1% control 40% of the nation's wealth, while the bottom 80% control just 7%, it's not a stretch to apply the ground metaphor to modern times. Of course, the metaphor also applies to the history of our nation, built on slave labor and the exploitation of minority groups for the benefit of mostly white men. Tupac prophesizes the rebellion arising from the ground, as extreme hunger will inevitably lead to acts of desperation. You know, if, if I know that in this hotel room they have food every day, and I'm knocking on the door every day to eat, and they tell, and they open the door, let me see the, the party, let me see like them throwing salami all over the, I mean just like throwing food around, where they're telling me there's no food in here. You know what I'm saying? Every day. I'm standing outside trying to sing my way in. You know what I'm saying? We are hungry, please let us in. We are hungry, please let us in. After about a week, that song is going to change the we hungry, we need some food. After two, three weeks, it's like, you know, give me all the food and we're out the door. And after a year, you just like, you know what I'm saying? I'm picking the lock, coming through the door, blasting. You know what I'm saying? It's like you hungry. You reached your level. You don't want any more. We asked 10 years ago. We was asking with the Panthers. We was asking with them. You know, the civil rights movement. We was asking asking you know now that those people that were asking they're all dead and in jail so now what do you think we're gonna do ask i put my gun away and grab my ak it's getting hectic i can't call it kendrick's next question to Pac is one kendrick often asks himself do you see yourself as 
somebody that's rich or somebody that made the best of their own opportunities. I see myself as a natural born hustler, a true hustler in every sense of the word. I took nothing, I took the opportunities, I worked at the, the most menial and degrading job and built myself up so I can get it to where I owned it. Uh, I went from having somebody manage me to me hiring the person that works my management company. Yeah. I changed everything. I realized my destiny in a matter of five years, you know what I'm saying, and made myself a millionaire. Right. I, made, I made millions for a lot of people, now it's time to make millions for myself, you know what I'm saying? I made millions for the record companies, I made millions for these movies, Movie companies now make millions for, for us. Pac tells his classic rags to riches story. The interesting thing here for me is the emphasis on ownership. He notes how he's made millions for other people. In the context of Butterfly, we might say Pac was being pimped by Uncle Sam. He then says he took hold of his situation and began building his own financial infrastructures. We might say, like Kendrick, the pimped became the pimp, the slave became the master. You know, Everybody's getting pimped. Whether you work a nine to five or whether you work for yourself, you're getting pimped by somebody. That's not the, that's not the crime. The crime is how long you allow yourself to get pimped. You have to come up. Everything is a come up. Everything is a struggle. You start from the bottom, work it to the top. Kendrick's next question to Pac is another that relates directly to the story told on Butterfly. And through your different avenues of success, how would you say you managed to keep a level of sanity? By my faith in God, by my faith in the game, and by my faith in all good, all good things come to those that stay true. Right. You know what I'm saying? And and, and it, it was happening to me for a reason. You know what I'm saying? I was noticing shit. I was I was punching the right buttons, and it was happening. So it's no problem. You know, I mean, it's a problem, but I'm not finna let them know. <laughs> I'm finna go straight through. At the heart of Butterfly is Kendrick's struggle with fame and keeping a level of sanity. Pac says his sanity comes from his faith in God, the game, and the phrase, all good things comes to those who stay true. We can easily apply this to the lessons Kendrick learns and ultimately preaches on Butterfly. He reconnects with God in South Africa and returns home to preach authenticity in Act 4. Even the creation of Butterfly, which prioritizes narrative and artistry over radio hits, is itself an act of authenticity and remaining true. Kendrick's next series of questions have to do with the black community's resistance against past and present oppression. Would you consider yourself a, a fighter at heart or somebody that somebody that only reacts when they back us against the wall? Shit, I like to think that in every opportunity I've ever been uh, threatened with resistance, I, it's been met with resistance. And not only me, but it goes down my family tree. You know what I'm saying? It's in my veins to fight back. All right, well, how long you think it take before niggas be like, we fighting a war, I'm fighting a war, I can't win, and I want to lay it all down? In this country, a black man only have like five years we can exhibit maximum strength. And that's right now, while you a teenager, while you still strong, while you still want to lift weights, while you still want to shoot back. Because once you turn 30, it's like they take the heart and soul out of a man, out of a black man in this country. And you don't want to fight no more. And if you don't believe me, you can look around. You don't see no loudmouth 30-year-old motherfuckers. That's crazy. Because me being one of your offsprings of, of the legacy you left behind, I can truly tell you that it's nothing but turmoil going on. So I want to ask you, what you think is the future for me and my generation today? I think that niggas is tired of grabbing shit out the stores, and next time it's a riot, it's gonna be like uh, bloodshed, for real. And I don't think America know that. I think America think we was just playing, it's gonna be some more playing, but it ain't gonna be no playing. 
it's gonna be murder. You know what I'm saying? It's gonna be like like Nat Turner, 1831, up mm. on this motherfucker. You know what I'm saying? It's, mm. it's gonna happen. That's crazy, man. Even though the Pac interview we're hearing was recorded nearly 20 years ago, his words on race relations still ring true today. It's a somewhat sobering thought. Pac believes a true rebellion or civil war is the fate of racial and class divisions in America, that the ground will open up and swallow the evil. In recent times, we've seen riots and demonstrations after the multiple killings of unarmed black men, and even more recently protests against our current administration who seems to have no interest in improving race relations. Pac refers to Nat Turner, a 19th century slave who led a rebellion in 1831 that resulted in the death of 55 to 65 white people. To suppress the uprising, whites organized and killed an estimated 200 African Americans, many of whom were not involved in the revolt. Turner was eventually captured, killed, skinned, and quartered. Tupac has a gigantic cross tattooed on his back. Inside the cross is the words Exodus 1831. There is no Exodus 1831 in the Bible. Rather, Pac is drawing parallels between the stories of Nat Turner's 1831 slavery rebellion and the book of Exodus, which tells the story of the Israelites escaping slavery in Egypt led by Moses. And remember, Kendrick cites Exodus and Moses on how much a dollar cost, which mark Kendrick's liberation and recommitment to God. In their own ways, Pac and Kendrick look to themselves as the Moses of their communities, attempting to free their people from the prison of their environment. Kendrick and Pac's conversation concludes with a brief discussion about music. That's crazy, man. In my opinion, only hope that we kind of have left is music and, and vibrations. A lot of people don't understand how important it is. You know, sometimes I can like get behind a mic and I don't know what type of energy I'm gonna push out or where it comes from. Trip me out sometimes. Because it's spirits. We ain't even really rapping. We just letting our dead homies tell stories for us. Kendrick shares his faith in the power of music, believing it's one of the only hopes we have left. Kendrick's use of the live version of I put on display the power that music has to bring about change. His song and words ended a fight in the crowd, and he hopes his album will end the interracial conflicts in Compton. Kendrick then shares that he's at times baffled by the energy he puts out on record or on stage, and questions where it comes from. Pac interjects, answering, Because the spirits, we ain't really rapping. We're just letting our dead homies tell stories for us. Here, we have yet another mind-blowing turn of events, as we realize this line refers directly to Butterfly itself. Tupac is the dead homie, and it's his story Kendrick is both telling and continuing. All the allusions to Pac throughout the album, the narrative poem that's addressed to Pac, the calculated symbolism of releasing Butterfly the day after the 20th anniversary of All Eyes on Me, paralleling their respective birthdays, Kendrick seeing Pac when he was eight years old in Compton, and the full circle moment of him performing at that very same spot 20 years later, not to mention the similarities between their respective journeys that center around the confliction they feel about their position in the world, and how they choose to use their influence. It all adds up to a kind of spiritual channeling of Tupac Shakur, and a continuation of his legacy. Remember, Pac came to Kendrick in a dream, and told him not to let his music die, a message he took to heart. It would seem to pimp a butterfly as Kendrick's fulfillment of that promise, a perpetuation of the story he was tragically unable to complete. Indeed, Pac is the spirit, the dead homie that propels the album. 
It's, I'm not saying I'm going to rule the world or I'm going to change the world, but I guarantee that I will spark the, the, the brain that will change the world. And that's our job, is to spark somebody else watching us. We, we might not be the ones, but let's not be selfish, and because we're not going to change the world, let's not talk about how we should change it. I don't know how to change it, but I know if I keep talking about how dirty it is out here, somebody's going to clean it up. It would seem Kendrick believes that brain might just be his own, and through humility, God, self-respect, and love, Kendrick will continue Pac's legacy and reconcile their shared confliction. Oh, and if all these Tupac connections weren't enough, consider this. What if the title of the album was To Pimp a Caterpillar? And what if we made an acronym from this title? The number two for two, P for pimp, A for A, and C for caterpillar. Two, P, A, C. Tupac. Yes, this was the original title of the album, but as Kendrick explains, he preferred the contrast between the words pimp and butterfly. Yeah, to pimp a caterpillar. That was that was an original name, and they caught it because it, it, the abbreviation was Tupac, two P A C, and uh, that was the original point. Once I got the 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 the, uh, the interview. Okay. You know what I'm saying? So right. I'm, I'm coming with the idea and me changing it to butterfly, I just really want to show the, the, the brightness of life and, and the word pimp, it has so much aggression. Right. And that represents several things. For mm. me, it, it represents um, using my celebrity for good. Right. You know what I mean? Another reason is not being pimped by the industry right. through my celebrity. Right. You know, so. It gets even deeper than that for me. I could be talking all day about okay. it. But, but it was almost it, called to pimp yeah, a caterpillar. A caterpillar yeah. While we're going to save our in-depth analysis for the longer dramatic poem Kendrick recites next for our finale episode, I do want to listen to that poem now in full and talk about the very last moments of the album and how it relates to all we've discussed today. I wanted to read one last thing to you. It's actually something a good friend had wrote describing my world. It says, the caterpillar is a prisoner to the streets that conceived it. Its only job is to eat or consume everything around it in order to protect itself from this mad city. While consuming this environment, the caterpillar begins to notice ways to survive. One thing it notices is how much the world shuns him but praises the butterfly. The butterfly represents the talent, the thoughtfulness, and the beauty within the caterpillar. But having a harsh outlook on life, the caterpillar sees the butterfly as weak and figures out a way to pimp it to its own benefits. Already surrounded by this mad city, the caterpillar goes to work on the cocoon which institutionalizes him. He can no longer see past his own thoughts. He's trapped. While trapped inside these walls, certain ideas take root such as going home and bringing back new concepts to this mad city. The result? Wings begin to emerge, breaking the cycle of feeling stagnant. Finally free, the butterfly sheds light on situations that the caterpillar never considered, ending the internal struggle. Although the butterfly and caterpillar are completely different, they are one and the same. What's your perspective on that?
The piece Kendrick recites uses the transformation of caterpillar to butterfly as metaphor for his own journey, as well as a potential journey of all the disenfranchised members of society. And as we'll see in our next episode, the butterfly piece also mirrors the structure and story told on To Pimp a Butterfly. When Kendrick asks Tupac for his perspective on the poem, he gets no response, despite Kendrick's frantic probes. The album ends suddenly, and we're left in mystery of what it all means. Kendrick admitted that he wanted to leave the end of the album open to interpretation. My personal understanding ties into what we've already discussed, that Kendrick is the continuation of Tupac's legacy, and Pac failing to respond symbolizes his inability to fulfill his own destiny. He was taken from us too soon due to his involvement in rap and street politics. By studying his life and work, Kendrick was able to learn through Pac's experience without having to suffer his same fate. Indeed, Kendrick made it past 25, able to fully develop into the butterfly that sheds light and helps bring about change. For this reason, Pac's silence could be calculated. He doesn't need to answer Kendrick as he's confident in Kendrick's ability to carry the torch, to finish the work he was unable to complete. Pac's absence at the end can also be viewed as symbolic of all the young black males that are, as the saying goes, dead or in jail by the age of 25. Kendrick's homies Dave, Chad, Braze, and Pup all died before the age of 25 due to street politics and black-on-black violence. Their voices were tragically lost, taken before their time. This both saddens and frustrates Kendrick. Someone like Tupac had a strong desire and real potential to help uplift his people from historic oppression and ultimately died by the hands of the very same people he was trying to save. Kendrick sees the tragic irony of assassinating a potential savior and seems set on ending this paralyzing cycle by showing young black men a way out through self-respect, union, authenticity, and love. I feel like if you can't respect yourself, then you can't respect your race, then you can't respect another's race, then you can't respect, you know, it just has to do with respect, like my mother taught me. I think that there's, when there's hopelessness, people revolt. Because it's like there's nothing that's like, you know, it's like we're going, is America going to help us ever? You know, because, I mean, we know for a long time they haven't. Are they ever? And it's like all these things are showing us no. And there's the, you know there's somebody going, no, they're not going to help you. No, they're not going to help you. And then, of course, we see it. No, they're not helping us. All BS aside, it all comes down to we got to survive. I mean, even warriors put their spears down on Sundays. We got to survive here in this country. Because I'm not going back to Africa. We got to survive here. And for us to survive here, white folks, black folks, Korean folks, Mexican folks, Puerto Ricans, we got to understand each other. We got to take, take a bigger chance. And when I say Americans, people think I'm talking about Uncle Sam. I mean, like, actually Uncle Sam with the gray hair and the flag. I mean, you. 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 The guy, you know, you. The mechanic, wherever. You. I mean, you need to do something. I don't know about you, but I can't handle any more mind-blowing explosions today. We'll finish our analysis of the butterfly poem and draw some final conclusions about To Pimp a Butterfly on our season one finale episode, next time on Dissect. Dissect is written and produced by me, if you've enjoyed Dissect this season, please do me a favor and rate Dissect on iTunes. It takes less than 30 seconds, and it really helps others discover the show. Also, this will be the last week to donate to our fundraiser benefiting the music program at Compton's Bicentennial High School, Kendrick's alma mater. 
We've got some great donation perks, including dissect shirts, printed manuscripts, and a Kendrick-inspired hat by Riz Apparel. Make your donation by Sunday, February 5th at dissectpodcast.com. While you're there, don't forget to check out the Tapimpa Butterfly album map. You can even pre-order a limited edition physical copy. Again, that's dissectpodcast.com. Theme music by Bureaucratic. For more, visit bureaucratic.bandcamp.com. <laughs>